Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Fractal Bitcoin. But this is the Bitcoin panel. I made a cool uh, little uh, thumbnail for today's show. But the Bitcoin panel is where we hang out. We talk about all things Bitcoin. It's uh, it's on Friday afternoons for an hour. And we have awesome people on here who know a lot more about Bitcoin than I do. I don't actually know that much. But so, yeah. So uh, happy you're here. We're going to talk about a bunch of different topics. But uh, the preferred place for you to to watch through is uh, Rumble. Uh, but of course, we're streaming on YouTube as well. And we're also streaming on Zap.stream, which is a Noster platform. So I'm going to be bringing those up in the background. But but AC is uh, here with us, and so is Walter X. How you guys doing? Going on, Chris. All oh, yeah. Time, what's man? up? Where the heck are all my topics? I actually prepared some topics for today. But let's start with the price. Uh, look, a lot of Bitcoiners say, oh, I'm not in it for the price, which is BS. But also, you know, I understand the sentiment that it's not all about the price, right? Like it's price is part of it. And I get that. But when the price starts pumping, it's it's more exciting, isn't it, AC? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that once you go through um, your first full cycle, the price becomes um, less intriguing and interesting. I think, like I said last month, or sorry, last week, number go up is what got me into Bitcoin. And then seeing number go down and then the community and learning about Bitcoin and discovering freedom go up is what kept me through it in a bear market. Right. Freedom go up. I love that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. What about you, Walter X, the X-Man? Yeah, I mean, I, we were talking before the show. I, I was telling AC I don't really have really checked the price out. I, I only noticed it today because I saw it trending on Twitter. Um but, you know, it's always nice when it's up. Up is better than down, uh, you know, especially just to encourage new people to get into it um, and to kind of dispel the haters a bit is always nice, I guess. Uh, right. So yeah. do you guys have any uh, – wh where's the price going to go from here? Um, you know, are we going to keep sort of melting upwards or is there still a chance we could, you know, go back down to – you know, into the thirties or something. What, 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 what do you think is going to happen? Well, uh, yeah, I'll jump ahead, in AC. first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Thanks. Uh, kind of like what Walter said, I try not to look at the price, you know, on a, on a daily basis. I don't look at Bitcoin, um, in the short term. I don't look at it in terms of weeks or even months. Really. I try to take a low time preference perspective, like a lot of Bitcoiners, uh, do, and that's really like on the order of years or decades. I think once people take the time to uh, invest the hours to study Bitcoin, the value proposition of it becomes clear and you don't, you no longer have to look at the number uh, on a daily basis. And so uh, I'll, I'll say this though, about if it's going to go up or go down uh, on a long time horizon, I think Bitcoin has no top. And I'm not the only, I've stole this from somebody, but I don't remember who said it. Bitcoin has no top because fiat has no bottom. <laughs> well, it has a bottom, which is zero. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, no, I agree. Bitcoin does, it does not have a top because it's capped at 21 million Bitcoin. And the amount of 
value that human beings, you know, focus and harness into Bitcoin that it just there's no limit, just like human potential. There's no limit. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know Putin's and all the everybody's got Putin on their mouth today with the whole Tucker Carlson thing. But I mean, the, the, the stuff that the U.S. did with the currency and shutting out Russia uh, and basically negating, you know, millions or billions of dollars worth of uh, funds uh, for political reasons. I mean, that that just kind of adds fuel to the fire for this. Um, you know, the dollar's definitely on the way out, I think. Um, it's still awfully strong, but that that action, you know, kind of single-handedly, I think, really put a huge, uh, def- deflated the balloon quite a bit. Uh, that and then all the ridiculous COVID uh, money burning. And it was already kind of out of control, right? I mean, just all the ridiculous wars and all the ridiculous spending. Um, So, uh, yeah, I feel like definitely Bitcoin's an unstoppable force. Um, Personally, I think it'll get to 100 million a coin at some point. I'm I'm not saying when or how or uh, exactly when that is, but I really don't see how it doesn't at least get to 100 million a coin at some point. 100 million, yeah. Yep. Yeah, wow, that's uh, that's like what we call dollar parity, right? Where every satoshi is worth a dollar. Yeah. Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That and then, so if that's the case, if one sat ends up equaling one dollar, imagine. Uh, I saw someone on Noster post this today that like these guys who are zapping people every day, a thousand sats here, a thousand there, like literally zapping probably 20 or 30,000 sats a day like if later on they're each worth a million <laughs> that's insane right yeah well but the thing is you've got to look out like walter said we don't know when that's going to happen or if that's going to happen but if it does you know what is the purchasing power of that $1 at that point i mean i could see a world where everybody's a millionaire but your purchasing your purchasing power isn't what it is today Right, yeah, a ten thousand dollar loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or if if you look at like the Zimbabwe and it's only Wonder one, Bread. <laughs> yeah, and, and like the Zimbabwe one trillion dollar bill. I mean, that uh, in a hyperinflationary environment, that is is definitely a possibility. True, but I was reading the Bitcoin Standard, which I just finished a couple of weeks ago, which was awesome. And I got. I'm just gonna. I'm, this is a book. I'm just gonna go back to the beginning and read it again, and then go back to the beginning and read it again because. He does a great job writing it, but at the same time, there's so much. It, it's a dense book, right? But anyway, yeah, he even talks about, you know, in that book, you, you talk about there being no limit to the price of Bitcoin, but uh, there's also no limit to, like, w- like when a society has a sound money, there's no limit to what that s- society can do. Maybe that sounds weird. Yeah, I, like, I, have we even seen it? I mean, w- what really truly is comparable to Bitcoin in terms of its purity uh, as a, uh, you know, a, a, a foundation of money? Yeah. So, all right, I'm going to share this uh, screen. Uh-oh. You know, this is, um, so, Okay. I'm going to work on sharing the screen, but the topic I want to bring up is this guy who, uh, let me see, what? Da Vinci Jeremy, he's an early Bitcoin adopter. He actually believes that Satoshi worked for the NSA, 
and his security clearance gave him the knowledge to develop Bitcoin without leaving any back doors for the government. So I want to hear your guys' opinion on Satoshi Nakamoto. Was he just a random guy or or was it a group of people or but also was it someone from the NSA uh who created Bitcoin? Why don't you go first, AC? All right. Um you know, I've I've seen similar um conspiracy theories in the past. Uh the NSA developed SHA-256, which is the hashing function integral to to Bitcoin. And so I, I don't think it's anything new. Um, I did watch the video about backdoors, but really I think um, the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto is not one individual. It's probably a group of people, cross-section of the cypherpunks, and either way, it's, it's not a big deal to me. And honestly, I hope we never, ever figure out who Satoshi is or was. I think one of the greatest gifts he gave to Bitcoin was developing Bitcoin and then walking away and disappearing. So for people who want to try to figure out who Satoshi is, you know, I don't stand with that group. I'd rather not ever know. Makes sense. Yeah, it's an interesting theory. I actually have done work with the NSA in in previously my career, and uh, I know people there. And if it was the NSA, it certainly is possible and it would have not been done by just one or two people there it would have been a fairly decent sized project i would imagine um uh you know i don't know if it really matters at this point um it's uh it's a movable it's a moving locomotive with a lot of steam behind it um i don't know if it really matters all that much um uh you know assuming that there's not some nefarious plan uh, that they have, but I don't know if that would even be the case. Um, yeah, I've heard this theory before. Um, again, I mean, it's fun to think about this stuff. I still kind of def- default to the Hal Finney theory makes the most sense to me because you know I don't believe I don't believe any of the original um, funds have ever been used or spent or anything. So um, I know you know maybe the person who did it has some sort of superhuman. Um, control and has absolutely no financial uh, needs or children with braces or uh, <laughs> uh, so I guess that's certainly possible but the fact that that those the, you know those original tokens are just untouched um, kind of leads me to believe that maybe it's just somebody who passed on yeah, yeah I, and my I question agree Walter I think go ahead the, the timing of Satoshi's disappearance um, on the forums kind of lines up with the passing of Hal Finney and is, is probably the most likely scenario. And then it also makes sense if you guys are following like the fake Toshi trial out in the UK, part of his argument is, well, Satoshi would have come out um, and proved me wrong, but he hasn't. So I really am Satoshi. Um, and I'm surprised that no one, at least from the, the articles I've read, no one has actually come out and said, well, what if, what if Satoshi passed away and he can't come out and, speak on his own behalf. And so I, I tend to agree with you, Walter. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, my question was like, you know, okay, did the NSA create Bitcoin? And so this is a question to you guys, because I don't know. Even if they did, I mean, how, how can they like actually manipulate it 
or or do a rug pull like because bitcoin is so decentralized there's so many people invested in it and it's such a big deal even if the nsa started it and even if they are satoshi so they have the one million bitcoin in a wallet like what could they actually do to harm bitcoin at this point after it's gained so much steam yeah, I think the other point too is, I mean, when I worked there, uh, you know, I did, I was there as an outside contractor, um, which was a pretty fun experience going in that building because <laughs> the security is pretty interesting. Wow. Um, you know, they flip through all your notebooks and you can't bring a pen, you can't bring your phone, you get scanned like with those scanners that they have at the airport and all the plants are fake because they obviously can't have people come in there and water the plants and they have these red lights on the ceiling that kick on uh, whenever there's an outsider in the building, just so everybody knows, like, you know, you know, there's somebody from outside in here. I mean, it's really interesting working wow. there. But uh, what the, just like almost at every other government agency at this point, they can't innovate on their own. They have to do it through outside, uh, you know, intellectual capability. Uh, it's just the way the government is. They don't really have a whole lot of innovators that work there permanently uh, full-time it's mostly just bureaucrats um and i'm not trying to sound elitist or anything that's just kind of how it is um so that's another reason why i really don't believe it hmm. yeah i the, go ahead i was gonna say there's another conspiracy theory out there um that it was a pet project of like proof of work SHA-256 consensus model was a pet project of the NSA and it was shelved and tabled. And then the developers eventually leaked it out into the wild. I don't, I don't pretend to believe that, but I mean, if we're going to play tinfoil hat games, that's, that's another theory that I've heard floating around over the years. Well, in this video that I can't show you, by the way, because I have to run the stream through Firefox today for some reason, I can't even share any screen. This is ridiculous. So you're stuck with this face the whole time. Anyway, um, the like guy's saying age. that in the, begin <laughs> in the beginning, uh, there were a bunch of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like uh, security, not algorithms, but whatever, uh, security patches or something. And that the NSA had said, look, all these security patches are safe. There's no back doors. And Satoshi, instead of using one of those, he used a different one. And all of those that the NSA said did not have back doors, it ends up they do have back doors. So that's why he was saying, like, Satoshi knew, somehow he knew. And that's why he used this different, uh, again, I'm not thinking of the term, but... Um, encryption thing or something i don't know there definitely are some interesting connections with the government and like you know hacker community and if you look at a lot of the more famous out there hackers the last 10 years they've many of them have actually had kind of very terrible things happen in their lives and i think uh this isn't really bad luck or things that happened organically but probably things were done on purpose because these people know a lot <laughs> and they're wow. dangerous, um, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, the, 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 there are some weird things going on there, I think, but who knows? Yeah. I also think that maybe there's a little bit of correlation without causation to say that um, Satoshi chose a particular hashing function because it didn't have a backdoor 
and he knew it because he used to work at the NSA, I think it's it's a little bit of a leap. Um, you know, if we take the mindset in the Bitcoin community of don't trust, verify, um, the, the other leap worth considering is that Satoshi or the group known as Satoshi actually went through a number of different hashing algorithms and then chose one for a particular reason and not because they had insider information from working at the NSA. So who right. knows? Yeah, great point. Like, yeah, it's easy to look back and sort of rewrite, oh, this is what they must have been thinking and doing. Like, maybe there's no way to prove that, right? Yeah, you can't just always work it backwards. All right, so now let's move to the next topic. Um, are Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy going to rule the world in the future? Because I don't know if you guys heard this news that now MicroStrategy plans to be the world's first Bitcoin development company. <laughs> and this is pretty interesting because, look, Michael Saylor, he's an absolute beast in the Bitcoin space, and he has MicroStrategy, this enormous company. And now that Bitcoin price is moving up again, now I think Michael Saylor, like, I, I think they're $3 billion in the, in the positive now. So it just makes sense that he would m want to focus more on Bitcoin. Did you guys hear this news? And do you think, what, what do you think this is going to mean for Bitcoin if someone of his level with that kind of capital is literally going to start focusing on building Bitcoin apps? I think it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I expect it's more than just vaporware. I think something will come about this uh, there obviously there's a lot of innovation that still needs to happen with bitcoin it's uh regular normies can't figure out how to use it or buy it or do anything with it so uh i think there's obviously a whole lot of opportunity there i i think uh sailor's certainly proven that he's all in on bitcoin um you know i i judge a man by his actions and we can judge him on his actions <laughs> Um, so I think it's pretty cool. I'm definitely going to pay attention and watch. Um, um, and uh, I've been around MicroStrategy before in the past. Actually, another place I've done work with as a contractor. Uh, and it was actually one of the few places I worked at where I really felt dumb. Like, like uh, all the people I'm working with, their brains are operating at such a higher level than mine. I feel like a total dummy. And I did not. that's one reason I did not enjoy that engagement. Um hmm. So, uh, <laughs> wow. uh, um, so yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I think it's exciting. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't know if I would go so far as to say that, uh, sailor and micro strategy will rule the world, but, um, I think with his Bitcoin strategy, it definitely has the potential to make micro strategy, one of the most valuable companies in the world. I'd love to see him. Uh, actually show through his actions, like Walter said, and uh, either develop in-house at MicroStrategy or partner with other entities to develop, you know, better UI UX experiences, whether that's on layer one um, or on something like Lightning. And I think a good opportunity <laughs> would be for him to partner with, you know, Jeff Booth and Preston Pish over at Ego Death Capital they announced a couple of weeks ago that uh, they're going to be putting up a hundred million in uh, funds to to try to jumpstart different companies developing in the space. It would be amazing to see Sailor partner with them 
um, in the future just to, you know, kind of foot stomp his commitment to development in the Bitcoin space. Yeah, that would be cool. And so, okay, so for adoption, I was, I just got distracted because I saw, hey, we have a comment, but it was actually me. I commented on the, yeah, great. We have such a, this this is such a big operation right now. Um, people are zapping us full Bitcoins left and right. That's, that's the kind of donations we're receiving. Okay. Just, just so you guys understand how, how much of a big shot I am and how big this show is. <laughs> I think there's like one person. <laughs> what? <laughs> hey, one is more than zero. Um, okay, so in terms of Michael Saylor developing Bitcoin apps and stuff, like adoption is definitely one thing. Like like trying to drive adoption by there's a few ways to do that, right? One is through, you know, like maybe maybe he's gonna build on the lightning network so people can transact with Bitcoin day to day. Or maybe he's gonna make like ha- like hardware wallets simpler and easier. Or uh, can you guys think of anything specific he might actually tackle first? I don't know what Sailor's got his minds on. I know the thing that I always think like, gosh, I really just want to build this because uh, I I still have all kinds of junk that I just need to get rid of, and I hate eBay so much. Uh, I would just love if there was an eBay replacement that was just strictly Bitcoin, just so I could unload my crap that I no longer need. I don't want to die and leave a whole bunch of crap for somebody else to have to deal with because I've had to do that with relatives that are have way too much junk. So I wish I could just easily dump this stuff and not have to deal with eBay because they suck so terribly and just make some Bitcoin. Um, well, definitely, I believe there is at least one Noster app that does that. Um, there might be more than one, and but I'm not sure. But that that's that's a good example of a, of a use case for a Noster app because there's yeah there there are Noster apps that are yeah. selling all kinds of stuff yeah i mean the problem with these marketplaces is it really isn't about the tech right it's about the people and uh you know good luck getting to however many millions or billions of people are on ebay i mean that's not something you know you can just guarantee even if your tech is great so yeah that'll take a long time but so so then you're thinking that you would love for ebay to sort of implement the lightning network or some bitcoin payment into ebay and then you could maybe just tell ebay look i only want to be paid in bitcoin not fiat i would love it yeah um i mean right now you still have to deal with paypal which is just a horrific company with horrific values and uh you know i mean like that's pretty disgusting (laughs) yeah i was gonna say when i think of paypal i think of yeah horrible yeah exactly However, you know, eBay, if I don't know if you guys noticed the case that happened to them, I don't know, about a year and a half ago, two years ago. Uh, did anybody catch that? I mean, they literally had people that worked at the company that were harassing this uh, poor lady who runs an e-commerce website. I think it's called E-Commerce Bytes. Um, they were um, sending her threatening things in the mail, like a, a mask from the Saw horror movie and leaving her bizarre uh, messages and the center like a funeral arrangement for her husband, like saying that we're going to basically kill your husband. They're coming to her, 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 uh, they're following her in her car. They're trying. I mean, I think they ended up doing a 60 minute story on it. It, it was 
amazing psychopathic behavior and instead of just improving their application and working harder to like give customers a good experience they want to go harass this poor couple that run an e-commerce website i mean it's just uh pretty crazy yeah that i mean come on that's just insane but with the amount of insane things happening in the world i just covered in in today's video in my news video this morning i covered the uk is now telling people, look, you're just going to have to settle for jobs that earn less. You're just going to have to earn less for a while so that we can overcome inflation. What? What? Yeah. What? <laughs> didn't Montreal Effing say clown you, world. What? Didn't Montreal say you can't like uh, light a fire to cook food or something? Did, did you... <laughs> I don't know what. Anyway, um, Let's move on to this, because Louis C.K., and I don't know if it was the real Louis C.K., the handle is at not Louis C.K., but anyway, he says, okay, back to Bitcoin. If everything was converted to Bitcoin, how would our country repay its debt? And then Pablo and others said, that's the fun part. (laughs) You don't. So my question to you guys is, okay, the United States national debt, it's now above $34 I think, officially. And by the way, we like no one even knows who we owe that money to, right? It's just oh, the Fed or wh- who who is it? And so can we talk about that for a little bit because I actually don't know a lot about the national debt, but I just have this feeling that it's a house of cards and and when it's over, there if if the US dollar completely collapses, there there's no paying it back. Is that is that right or any ideas? Oopsie. i mean it gets paid off uh you know by by inflation basically is how that's the only way that it gets paid off um so you know that that's the hidden tax we all pay with everything getting more expensive every year and they like to make it sound like it's a great deal that oh inflation is down from last year well it's still everything's still worth less than (laughs) everything is still more expensive so yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, they keep on kicking the can down the road. That's that's for sure. They've been doing this for decades. Can they do it another decade? Uh, maybe. I think that it's going to continue until there's a catalyst for change. What that looks like, I'm not sure. Um, the only way that they're going to get out of this level of debt is to print their way out of it. And unfortunately, <laughs> that's going to be on the the backs of, you know, multiple generations paying for it through tax, through their effort, through money debasement, um, through theft, um, through inflation. It's not going to look pretty. And it's uh, like, I don't know, have you guys read the book, The Mandibles? Um, no. I think if if the debt isn't paid for eventually then the only other solution is default. And it, the book, which is fiction, paints a pretty grim picture of what it might look like in the U.S. if it were to ever default on its debt. But I have some fundamental questions. Because printing more money to pay the debt, pr- printing money is why we're in debt. Like, we're borrowing money from the Fed, right? That's where the United States gets its literal dollar bills from is the fed right am i right on that 
there there are multiple ways to uh, increase the money supply. Um, one of those, like you kind of alluded to, is the issuance of bonds and treasuries, um, basically creating debt that would be paid back in the future. Central banks would buy those and pay that money to the Fed, and then they would have that issued back through loans to people. And then it, you talk about like fractional reserve lending. That is another way that with with no more fractions, so it's just imaginary lending at this point. That's another way that the M2 money supply is increased through um, fractional reserve banking. And it, it's somewhat controlled through interest rates. You know, when there needs to be more money in the in the supply, then interest rates go down so that more people are taking loans out. When you need to reduce the amount of money in supply, interest rates go up to contract. So that's that expansion and contraction of quantitative easing and quantitative tightening. Yeah, I don't... I. I might have to find an expert on on that to to interview because I re, I just I just don't understand it. It it to me it's a big shell game and it's you know the Federal Reserve which was created in 1913 apparently just all of a sudden says okay we're just going to create money out of thin air and give it to you and now you owe us. And it's like, well what what does that even mean? Like are we just indentured servants and forever? Really, basically, at the end of the day, it's theft, right? I mean, it's money that comes out of our savings, our wealth, what we make, and then where does the majority of this printing go to, this money that's printed? It goes, fuels wars, it fuels, uh, you know, um, uh, vaccines that probably aren't largely needed. Um, you know, uh, th this all big business. It's all big business uh, and not going to the small person. I know that. So, right. um, you know, back in the day when we had wars, uh, you, you ever notice that like you hardly ever see an old bell anywhere in a town? Um, they were melted down for, for munitions uh, in prior wars, right? Because we, we had to recycle and, you know, grit and figure our way to kind of handle and do these things back in the day because we just didn't have unlimited money we could print out of thin air. But, uh, you know, I commend them because what they figured out was, hey, we, what if we do this thing where we can just kind of invent money out of thin air and then we can do whatever we want? So it, it's worked out well for them. It hasn't worked out well for us. <laughs> That's an understatement. All right. I want to talk about CBDCs, specifically the United States CBDC, which hasn't been announced yet or anything, but the whole world seems to be moving towards CBDCs for obvious reasons. So the government can monitor you, surveil you and control you and shut off your bank account. In terms of actually, like in terms of the U.S. government trying to roll out a CBDC and make it work and, and sort of uh, transition from the current monetary system into more of a CBDC, or maybe it'll be a hybrid thing. How do you guys think that's going to happen? Like literally, like physically, how's it like, are they just going to come on the news one night and be like, okay, well, uh, starting Monday, we're going to start converting all your bank account money into tokens and whatever. How's it, how's it going to play out? 
Do you guys have any thoughts? I think it'll be a corporatocracy kind of thing. I think it'll be done through banks. Um, that just seems to be the way they like to operate now um, in exhibiting control, at least initially. They like to kind of do it through their corporate partners. Um, you know, kind of similar to like um, all of the censoring that was going on in social media. Um, you know, uh, they're not directly censoring us. The government's not coming in here and like filtering my web traffic, but you know, they have their lackeys and former FBI uh, agents working at Facebook and and uh, Twitter and all these other places to kind of you know lock things down. So I think it'll be done through the banks that are obviously very tight with the government. You know, the big banks I'm talking about. Um, what can we do? I don't know. I mean, I'd I'd recommend people definitely if they have accounts with these big banks, they should look to a credit union. You know, if you're a former military, you know, go get you a Navy Federal um, credit union account if you haven't done so already. There are a lot of other credit unions out there, depending on what your backgrounds are. You know, um, I would think people should look to do that. But what do you think, AC? Yeah, I think that uh, it's going to be a combination exactly the way you put it um, through corporate partnerships. You know, we see right now that. Um, what the government can't accomplish on their own and what corporations and big tech cannot accomplish on their own, they collude together uh, to accomplish. And so it's, it's the unfortunate situation that we live in. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head with the, the corporate actions flipping over to the government. I think they're going to tie it to benefits. So, in order to file your tax return or file your taxes and get your return, your return is going to be sent to you via CBDC. Welfare programs are going to be given to you via CBDC. If they eventually pass a universal basic income, guess how you're going to get it? CBDC. If you're a government employee or person collecting government pension, those are all going to eventually come from a CBDC. And that's the way that they're going to indoctrinate the people. They're going to say, hey, instead of waiting for your direct deposit to hit your bank and waiting for it to settle three days later, you can get it instantaneously and spend it immediately via this brand new CBDC. Oh, by the way, hey, we'll give you 10% more if you accept it in this vehicle. So I think it's going to be a combination of the two. Have you guys noticed some of the weird things that have happened the last few years with um, cash money? So like... Um, I've noticed Starbucks that no longer take cash, um, card payments only. Uh, you go to a concert, um, you want to go buy a, a beer or a margarita at the show. A lot of times now they don't take cash. Uh, during COVID, I recall a lot of stores were like, hey, we're, we're out of cash. We're out on change. Please pay with, with a cart. And I'm like, hardly anybody's shopping because everybody's staying at home. So how are you cash that that one i could never figure out what was going on there i felt like it was some sort of test to me but maybe i'm just a conspiracy theorist that's what my family says well being a conspiracy theorist means all that means is that you're ahead of the curve you you, you see the truth about you know two or three years ahead of time and so when you say it it sounds crazy but then two or three years later you were right <laughs> Yeah, I agree that this rolling out the CBDCs, that's how they're going to do it. And then everyone, like most people are just going to hop on board like nothing. They're not going to think twice about it. 
Um, so when CBDs are rolled out more and more, obviously Bitcoin has become something that the government, I don't think any governments are going to ban Bitcoin, but what do you think they're just going to tax Bitcoin more or do you like, how, how are these governments going to handle Bitcoin? Although I, I guess there are many other investments as well. Like, I mean, obviously gold and silver, but stocks and stuff. So I guess Bitcoin will just be thrown in with all those other investments Right, something like that. Yeah, I don't think um, you know Bitcoin is a moot point related to this. I, obviously, I don't think they're going to be paying us in Bitcoin if they move to some sort of digital currency. <laughs> um, yeah, it'll be something they can control that isn't truly, uh, you know, uh, decentralized. Um, right. So uh, whether that's I don't know Ethereum or who knows what network they'll use to do this or build their own thing, I have no clue. Yeah, who knows what's going to happen? It's uh, it's kind of a scary time though because again, mo- most normies they don't understand anything. I still meet people all the time who you even mention Bitcoin and they just look at you like you have seven heads and and you're a and you're you know a scam artist or something. It's like it's just weird. Um, the matrix is real, you know, and most people are still in it. Um, and uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I remember when I was in it, and it, it, it isn't easy to break loose of it because you're constantly being propagandized uh, to think a certain way. I mean, it's everywhere, um, and it isn't until you kind of in, inside your own head honestly say to yourself, like, what if I'm wrong about everything? and start actually openly looking at alternative views. And then you can slowly kind of defrost that haze of your thinking, but it's not easy. So I think empathy for these people is always good too. I mean, you, you obviously, they have to come to you. You can't wake them up and until they're a little bit less zombified, you know, you're just better off leaving it be, you know? True. Yeah. I mean, as long as they're not rounding us up into camps, you know, uh, conspiracy theorists you know literally the national guard and military rounding us up into camps as as long as it doesn't go that far we can have a lot of empathy for for these normies who don't understand things yet but if things do go that far then those normies are the ones supporting this these people that are enslaving you in a camp and it's at that point the the level of empathy changes true. in my mind oh yeah true i'm not saying they're not dangerous they are very dangerous <laughs> right yeah and they can turn on us turn on us in a dime i mean anybody who didn't get the covid vaccinations might understand how that feels with the whole world saying like you're a terrible person and you're hurting people and it's all your fault and this and that and it was pretty interesting to see how that how rabid that got how quickly that got rabid with based on very little actual scientific data too it was just all propaganda yeah so i'm actually curious ac how you got into to bitcoin uh if if you want to share your story of how you initially heard about it and what you thought and then you know your 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 journey of learning about bitcoin yeah yeah thanks chris so you know funny enough i've got a a twitter post from like 2011. Uh, I think there's two of them out there. Um, 
And that was kind of my initial discovery of Bitcoin. I didn't buy a single one back then. Um, I probably should have, but I didn't. Um, kind of like what Walter was talking about earlier. I was still in the military at the time and I needed a security clearance to do my job. And there was a lot of, you know, negative connotations associated with Bitcoin around 2011 and 2012. So I, I kept it at an arm's distance away and didn't touch it. Um, you fast forward to 2016, I'm now still in the military, living in Tallinn, Estonia, out there in Eastern Europe on the border of Russia. And I found that they use blockchain technology for their entire presidential voting system. And they use blockchain technology for their medical care system. And being a, a resident there for two years, I was a, a beneficiary of the medical care system. Obviously, I didn't vote in the Estonian presidential election. And that's kind of what uh, opened my eyes to, hey, this, this technology has utility. So I jumped head first into the space, uh, started off with Bitcoin, shitcoined for a while. Um, it was the ICO era back then. And so I was juggling tons of coins. The short end of the story is that uh, I lost a ton of money shitcoining around. Um, but more importantly, I learned a lot of important lessons. And it was uh, around 2018 when I decided I wasn't going to shitcoin anymore. Uh, pivoted everything, what what left I what I had left pivoted into Bitcoin. I uh, went to a Bitcoin conference out there in Europe, uh, bought my first hardware wallet, and started doing self custody in 2018, and then have been Bitcoin only ever since. Um, as far as education, you know, I think during that time, uh, Antonopoulos was like one of the main voices, and then later on. Sailor was, uh, you know, a very big advocate. I took the time to read as many books and listen to as many podcasts as I could on my Bitcoin journey just to, to learn. And what I find interesting is there are so many avenues of approach with learning. You know, you can look at the technology. You can look at it from an economical perspective, from a fiscal perspective, philosophy, freedom. I think there's so much in Bitcoin that just anybody can find something that's going to get their foot in the door to start their journey down the rabbit hole. So that's the, the quick and short of my Bitcoin journey. And was there a time where, like, like did you, did, did your confidence and your uh, resolution uh, or and your belief in Bitcoin, was there a time when that just all of a sudden clicked and you're like, oh, I... Bitcoin is awesome. I understand it enough. And I see the, that like, like, did that happen at once or did it happen over years? Or maybe was there a moment when you finally realized that, wow, yeah. What did you have a revelation? I wouldn't say that it was like an instantaneous revelation. Like I said, um, being a technologist with a background in computer science, IT cybersecurity, looking at like, hash functions and Merkle trees and cryptography that that resonated with me immediately. And I'd said, Hey, th this is really interesting. And I, I appreciate, you know, solving the Byzantine generals problem, solving the double spend problem. 
uh, with Bitcoin, what really built up um, my confidence is learning about um, sound principles of money. You know, I didn't learn what debasement was until I was well into an adult. I didn't really know what inflation was until I was much older. And so combining all of those things with the technology is what eventually built my confidence in Bitcoin. Because if you don't understand how money works, um, then you're still in the matrix and you're being stolen from and you don't even know it. And so it takes an understanding from multiple different areas, I think, to really build up that confidence in Bitcoin. Hmm. And Walter, did you have a similar uh, similar journey? Did uh, can you explain your journey in Bitcoin? I'm I'm very curious. You know, similar but maybe different a little bit. Um, I and was introduced to it by a coworker about a decade ago, and even though we didn't have any in-depth conversations about it, really, because I just just didn't get it, and it seemed goofy and weird and silly to me at the time. But his um, conviction really stuck with me because as Bitcoin would go up and up to a new level that just seemed, you know, crazy and uh, ridiculous to like normal people, I remember asking him like, so you're going to sell some, you're going to, you know, and the guy was mining, he had hundreds of Bitcoin. Um, He's like, nope, I'm not selling any. I'm like, uh, it kind of blew my mind um, because this guy was pretty young at the time and I don't think he had a whole lot of like generational wealth in his family or anything. So uh, his conviction really stuck with me. Um, But it wasn't until years later as I kind of, as we talked about earlier, I broke more and more out of the matrix of my own thinking of believing the news, thinking that, uh, you know, just having very normy beliefs, um, you know, listening to NBR and these things and actually engaging in the media. Um, kind of a change that I think really started for me was just not doing the news, not reading newspapers, um, largely because I was launching a business and that was kind of a tactic I read about in the four hour work week. Oddly enough was like, Hey, uh, you know, you need to free up time, stop wasting all your time, listening to watching TV and, and, you know, absorbing silly media, just get to work on your business. Right. Um, so I did that, but uh, the byproduct of it also was like, I, I, I kind of got less clouded in my thinking. Um, and just realizing just how deeply screwed we all have been, uh, Bitcoin and is kind of part of that awakening for me. Um, it, it really fits in well with, you know, what kind of technologies do we have to level the playing field a bit? Social media is part of that as well. The Internet's part of that, although those have definitely been co-opted and locked down. And there's been a lot of kind of fuckery there as well. Um, but just the ability for people to actually get news out. Um, and I think we're seeing it lately with kind of the freedom that's on X and other platforms like before with the three channels, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, like a lot of the things we've been talking about last five, six years, we wouldn't have been talking about. So, right. um, yeah. So for me, it's just kind of largely a part of everything else. Um, you know, as far as the first thing I did in Bitcoin, I just bought a miner. I hooked it up in the house. I got my power set up and then I large, I quickly realized it's not practical in the house. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, unless you have a very, uh, um, 
uh, unless you have a basement, I guess, but I don't where I live. I'm, I'm, I'm at sea level. Um, and it's very noisy, puts out a lot of heat and, um, the rest of the people in this home were not happy with me. So I had to quickly, that experiment did not work. So then I just, um, moved it to a hosting facility and put all my other miners there. So that, that's mm. a lot better. Um, but so here I, uh, yeah, reading, reading, like AC said, the Bitcoin standard was a, a huge one for me. That's really the first book I think that really kind of helped click it all into place for me. I've read a lot of the others as well. There's a lot of other great books out there too. I really find it interesting how Bitcoin was part of it, but also there was these other like freedom of speech stuff and like like it's all it for you, I guess it was all towards freedom and liberty and and and, and really breaking free of the of out of breaking out of the matrix and breaking free of the the mental programming uh which is very cool yeah and um it's cool but it's also hard it's cost me friends um it's been stressful with family <laughs> um i've just kind of learned learned to largely keep my mouth shut about a lot of things um uh that 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 tends to work best with certain people Right. They're just not ready to hear some of these conversations. Yeah. And that's okay, because I would have been the same way when I was back in their mind, mind frame. Yeah. So I have a question. This is a weird question. I literally just thought of it now. You know how in, in Bitcoin, if you've been following Bitcoin now, we know that there's like basically four-year cycles, right? Because of the halving and, you know, there, there are patterns that have emerged in a four-year cycle. But what about in the beginning? Did they know it was going to be a four-year cycle? Uh, did they know that uh, maybe they knew it was going to be a four-year cycle, but may did they know, you know, whatever, for two and a half years it goes up and then a year and a half it goes down? Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, when did the four-year cycle idea come into play? Do you guys know? You might not know, but... It's actually not a, a four-year cycle. So it's based on number of blocks generated, so the 210,000 blocks um, per epoch or epoch, so to speak, with, and every block is on average 10 minutes. So it comes out to a four-year cycle, roughly. Um, whether that was done by design or by accident, who knows? Um, but it does line up with a number of um, things, including the the U.S. presidential election. So... Hmm. Um, I tend to think that it was done on purpose, um, but I, I don't know for sure. As far as the price action, um, I think that's an un unintended consequence. You know, in the very beginning, it was effectively not worth anything. Um, and so I don't know that they anticipated that the valuations would move in the direction that they currently do now. Right. Hmm. You know, I think... Um politics and um social movements and uh you know all kinds of markets tend to often have kind of repeating similar cycles in history so i don't know why bitcoin would be any different but in terms of the whole four-year thing i don't really have any deep insights there i've got to be honest yeah it makes sense what you said ac that in the beginning they there's probably no way to forecast that okay it's gonna be you know like it, we call it a four-year cycle, but it is 210,000 blocks. But they didn't know that the, it was going to follow the same pattern every time and what that pattern would be. It just sort of emerged that way. That makes that definitely makes sense. 
The yes, genius Walter? of the Bitcoin design is very humbling to me. I, I will say, I, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much genius there in the design of it. Yeah, I completely agree, and that's that's why I said I hope we never, or at least I hope I never figure out who Satoshi or the group known as Satoshi is, because it's it, it's been a gift to the world. The majority of the world just doesn't know it yet, but I think we'll look back. History will look back and say. The writing was on the wall. It was so obvious. How did the people not adopt it um, faster than they actually did? You know, when they're looking at it in the history books or the history tablets, so to speak, you know, 100 years from now. Yeah, totally. So we're getting close to the end here. Um, you guys have any – did anything this week um, – have a huge impact on you, whether it was news or or anything regarding Bitcoin. Uh, I don't know. The, the the one thing that comes to mind for me is this whole Apple headset thing. Um, just how creepy it all is, honestly. <laughs> uh, and that's weird for me to say as a technologist and somebody who's generally pretty interested and in, geeked out on technology, but something about it just rubs me really weird. E even though I've played around with VR and stuff before. Um, uh, not saying it is an interesting technology or impressive, but, uh, seeing these videos of people out in public, uh, <laughs> with these headsets on is just something about that, uh, kind of profoundly disturbs me. And, um, I just hope, uh, it doesn't take off, but you know, it, it the cat's out of the bag. So I, you know, we have no control there. We'll have to just see what happens. I've also seen the videos, and I don't even know what it is. Apparently, it's just some goggles that Apple just launched, and what it's like an augmented reality, right? So people can, when they look through the goggles, they can still see the real world, but they're also seeing like screens coming up, and they can use their hands to interact with stuff on those screens or something. Yes, and they're and then they're locked in place, so they feel very much like real objects. So you know, as you turn around or move around, the, wh wherever you put that screen, it's still in that same spot. So it's almost like it's a real physical object, if that makes sense. Um, that yeah. in addition to the spatial audio, and then it's it's uh, you're able to control things with your eyes because it's it's monitoring your your retina and how your eye your eye movements. Um, so you know, you can look around, and it's altering the interface. I mean, it's really crazy interesting technology but it's also really kind of spooky to me in a weird way i can't quite figure out why but it's just kind of uh bumming me out <laughs> hmm yeah it does it definitely feels weird but it, it also feels clunky which means that maybe like we seem to still be in that phase where with the whole you know virtual reality or augmented reality we're, it's still so early that everything is clunky and it's not really good and it's weird. And and this to me, it feels like these are phases we have to go through, mistakes we have to make and figure it out. And then we'll get to a point some at some point when they'll make a product that's like, oh, yeah, that's it. Like, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, they'll be, for next it'll be glasses and then it'll be contacts and then it'll be maybe embedded inside your eyeball. It won't even be a contact. But right. I, I just don't know if I want to live in this world, honestly. Um, so I, I guess I might end up like the Unabomber in a in a in a wooden uh, uh, hut somewhere in the woods. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Jesus. You guys heard that, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Okay. I'm I'm all me everything's messed up today. Now I got to troubleshoot my 
Brave browser and everything. So, um, AC, do you have any last words to share? Uh, no last words to share, but getting to your, your last question, uh, two things that I've been following. Uh, number one, and I mentioned it earlier, is the fake Toshi trial. Um, I know that doesn't come to a close until like March, uh, but hopefully that uh, settles it once and for all that uh, that person who I refuse to use his name uh, is a liar and a fraud and we don't ever have to worry about him ever again. And then the other one that I found interesting, and I know I'm breaking a rule here about talking about ETFs. Um, <laughs> one, one thing that I found very interesting was um, Fidelity up in Canada uh, added a 1% allocation to their all-in-one fund. And so now it just opens the doors to more people who own Bitcoin and, or I should say, have exposure to Bitcoin because they don't own the underlying asset. Um, they own a, a paper IOU to Bitcoin that they will never actually see. Um, but they have exposure to Bitcoin without ever even knowing anything about it. And so I find that interesting. I think that uh, that is going to be the first of many uh, basket of ETFs that are going to hold um, exposure to one of the Bitcoin ETFs. And what that really means is that, uh, you know, supply available on exchanges is going to continue to go down. Um, and I think that that's, that's good for adoption. Right. Like, so when just a normal person with their 401k allocates to this one fund, 1% of it goes into the Bitcoin ETF. So essentially, I mean, if you expand it out, it's almost like if the, the whole, all the money invested in the world in 401ks, maybe 1% of it all is going to be in Bitcoin, you know, at some point soon. And that's like, that's a lot of money. Um, yeah, it's very exciting. I don't know. I don't, I don't mind talking about the ETF and I don't mind the ETF at all. I mean, I know there are some Bitcoiners who think it's the end of the world and this is ruining it. And, and I'm like, it is what it is, man. You can't that when you create something that's free and open and, and everyone has the liberty to do whatever they want, this is what you get. And I don't see it as a bad thing. Um, and maybe this will be the first exposure for people. Like maybe like we're talking about mentally, if they know that, oh, 1% of their fund is in Bitcoin, and they're like, oh, interesting. And maybe two years later, they hear more about Bitcoin, and then they're like, oh, this Bitcoin thing must not be that bad. And so anyway, it's all part of changing the psychology of people. I, I agree with that, AC. Yeah. Uh, to, to be one counterpoint, I watched a video earlier this week, um, and it was Pomp interviewing, I think it was Alex Kruger, and he said that he thinks uh, the Bitcoin ETF is a Trojan horse. So you can go out and find that video and, and kind of get his perspective um, on why he doesn't, he's not a fan of the ETF. And I, uh, Chris, I'll shoot you a link to that. You can throw it in the notes if you'd like. Perfect. Did you yeah. all see the video of the uh, El Salvador president giving his speech? That was a pretty cool yeah. one, too. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't know that we would ever see in the U.S., um, you know, an election rate of 84 um, percent all in favor of one single person. 
Uh, so that that was pretty impressive for El Salvador. I know uh, Bitcoin is in the whole equation there. I mean, it's also about lar- locking up criminals, but it's still pretty uh, inspiring to see that. Yeah, it's very inspiring. I mean, we need brave people who are willing to step up and do this, and and that because so then we can all look at them and we we gain strength from that, right? So it's. We need to pull all of our uh, sats and just find some country that is willing just to sell out to us. And then we just, you know, take it over as, as the first Bitcoin country. <laughs> maybe that's Texas. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. I'd like to hear in the next show a little more about Estonia, uh, the AC's uh, experience, because I've, I've heard some really interesting things about uh Estonian. It sounds really like they're really doing some interesting forward-thinking stuff over there. Yeah, yeah, we can definitely talk about it. That was a that was an amazing assignment to be at for two years, um, and we can get into it another one. It was a very interesting time uh, as well, um, especially looking through the lens of uh, Russia and Ukraine because a similar buildup took place when i was there in 2017 so yeah we can we can table that and and save it for another conversation oliver stone's film on ukraine's a much must watch if you haven't seen it to try to understand a little bit about the whole some of the background on ukraine um uh, ukraine on fire i think is the name of it pretty interesting interesting definitely check that out all right well this has been awesome thank you both uh, thanks for hanging out on the Bitcoin panel and see the Bitcoin panel right now is like Bitcoin on like February 9th of, uh, 2009. It, no one knows about it yet. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say, <laughs> but thank you guys. This has been great fun and I've, I always learn a lot. And so I appreciate you guys sharing all the wisdom. So definitely everyone who's watching, make sure you subscribe and follow the channel and, and, uh, and also and look in the show notes. There's all kinds of links and you can connect with us and everything. So, all right, well, this has been uh, the Bitcoin panel. Say goodbye, you guys. Adios. Until next time. Thanks. Enjoyed it. Thank you guys. No, no you're supposed to say goodbye, you guys. Cause I said, say goodbye. You got <laughs> sorry. <laughs> All right, and then let's end it the way you're supposed to end something. Um, oh, wait, I forgot. I wanted to tell you this one thing about Bitcoin. See, the thing is, 